When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, and welcome to the 74th episode of Lake of Rage Pokemon Trading Card Game Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, aka Mellow underscore Magikarp. I'm joined today by two very special temporary guest hosts joining us for the 89th time. We have once again brought back Grant, aka Boo CK. Hello. And joining us for the first time, someone who quietly last season jumped into masters and turned into one of the best players in the game we have piper lapine yeah yeah perfect hello <laughs> thank you both so much for joining us so we have an interesting episode i think a lot of people are kind of like okay we're jumping into lost origin stuff but we have a regional in the world's format that has over a thousand i believe it is masters registered so we can't ignore that. I would not be doing my duty as a podcaster if we ignored the first regional of the season that has a huge number of people. So we're going to be doing a meta discussion for Baltimore regionals. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, I was really wanting some Lost Origin stuff, my biggest suggestion is make a prediction for the Baltimore meta anyway. And the reason for that is even if you're not going, predicting metas is a valuable skill. So maybe take a listen to it. See if you agree with, you know the experts quote unquote that we have here today with us and see all right yes i'm tracking metas correctly so going into whether peoria or salt lake city or whatever you're doing you're kind of like okay i do feel confident predicting metas and all that good stuff so this episode should have something for everyone first thing we're going to do is i want both of my guests to introduce themselves as well as some of their accomplishments because i asked both of them on here because they are both highly skilled players with a lot of experience and a lot of success so grant can you go ahead and start us off that way your accomplishments actually sound impressive before piper shares hers yeah thanks <laughs> um my name is grant matthew uh i'm a 80 time apparently uh, <laughs> guest on this podcast uh i started in uh, right after Worlds 2019, and went to a few local events, didn't go to any regionals, and then obviously the COVID stuff. Uh, I think I was best known of, of, for anything during that period for coming up with uh, Relish, uh, the green Mewtwo deck, um, which was a lot of fun, and, and I enjoyed playing that, and then kind of took off a couple months afterwards. Uh, and then went to regionals this year, uh, Day 2 Indy. Uh, top 64 in Vancouver, uh, day two NAIC. So just kind of getting my feet wet. Obviously, no chance unless uh, I think I had to win two regionals, or um, I think if I got second at NAIC, I could have got my invite. But uh, just there to to kind of get my feet wet and do a half rookie season, and I think I did all right. So uh, I'll be at Baltimore and planning on going to a bunch of regionals coming up. I'd call day twoing an IC in addition to you know top 64, pretty darn good rookie season. But uh, Piper, you recently aged up from seniors to masters, correct? Yeah. How yeah, did your how did your rookie season go? <laughs> well, um, I bubbled points at Salt Lake because I played Gengar. Uh, I barely tested mm. for that event. That was my mistake. But uh, <laughs> then I played 
Dark Mally to UIC and top 64 there. Did the same thing to Indy, lost my Witted in on stream and ended top 32. Then um, NAIC lost my Winnet into Azul and ended top 32 there and got a day two invite and bubbled top 32 at Worlds. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> so incredibly impressive. I feel you on the losing Winnet ends. It's a. Uh... It's, it feels so bad, right? Like, I mean, you might disagree, but it's like, okay, I've got to win in the no, top okay. eight and you lose and you get top 32 instead of top 16. Like, mm -hmm, like, sure. like, like I'm just scammed at that point. Like, come on. But as you can hear, both of the guests we have are incredibly skilled players with quite a bit on their resume for last season. And if you need a quick reminder on myself, I went to two regionals last year because I already had my invite going into the post-COVID era. Top 16 at Salt Lake City. So uh, I also know some stuff as well. We're not going to talk about my Worlds run. I did not bubble Top 32 at Worlds, unfortunately. We have an episode for that, right? <laughs> we do. Go back a, a couple of three episodes ago where we talk about the Worlds run and... Uh, it was definitely, we played Pokemon. That's what matters. Piper, what'd you play at Worlds? Uh, I played Inteleon, Charizard, Box stuff. Um, fun day. Yes, I love that deck so much. Uh, let's actually start there then. If you are going, well, are we, you are going to Baltimore. Yeah. Going into Baltimore, you don't have to leak your play ever. Grant, same thing. You do not have to leak your play. I'm not going to Baltimore. I will leak my play 100% because I'm not playing. But Piper, would you play that deck again going into Baltimore? Or is it like nowhere on your radar? Is it on your consideration? Are you locked into it? Like, what about Inteleon Box? I would say I would go with Ross's list. I'd be more likely to go with that build than mine. Because I played like uh, Moltres and those kind of shenanigans. Mm -hmm. um, I think I just respected a lot of other decks. Or like Mewtwo, V Union, especially was the big one. Are we not Especially after day one. But it's not as relevant. So you're calling Mewtwo V Union the control deck. You don't think it's going to be a big deal in Baltimore? Um, I think it's it, it definitely didn't have the great showing at Worlds. I feel like a lot of people expected. Um, not many converted to day two from it. Um, it, it feels like pretty easy to tech for because we saw with the the uh, Arc Peak Jolteon lists, they just played the Moltres, and Moltres deals it with deals with it really efficiently because uh, every time they hammer their your dark, you just get it back with Dire Flame. Um, so they, they, it, it's much better than Crobat, uh, I found. Like, I played Moltres V2 for the U2V Union matchup in my um, Inteleon box list. And that's one that anyone who's played Mewtwo Control, I don't know if either of you have tested the deck at all, but the Crobat VMAX, you hit, you just like hold on to all your hammers, flip like yeah. three or four at once, and you're like, oh, cool, I hit two heads, you lose the game now. So Moltres is definitely a cool tech for that. Grant, do you expect sure. Mewtwo Control? I'm sure some people will bring it. Um, you know, there are a bunch of people that like control just as the archetype, and that's the the prevailing deck at the moment. Okay. And and people have it. People have it built already. You know, this 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 has this regional sort of has an appeal two ways. Like either people coming out strong with something new or something that they're really good at, or something they already have built and are just going because it's in the northeast and easy to get to. Uh, so like, why go buy new cards to? to play something you already have built and want and have wanted to play it's been what two three months since mm -hmm. uh, milwaukee yeah and even then no one yeah. knew that deck existed <laughs> in milwaukee right. well they might have known it existed but no one played it at milwaukee right that surprise naic ah, that, that was that was cool but anyway so we agree mewtwo control is kind of like it'll show up kind of uh, maybe not worth teching for unless you have easy techs the cool thing is mm -hmm. 
the text for Mu V Max and the text for uh, Mu Two Control have quite a bit of overlap there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what do we expect? So after the quick aside, what do we expect will be the most played deck in Baltimore? And do you expect it to be like drastically this deck, or do you expect kind of like, oh, there's a few that are all kind of equal there at the top? Piper, can you start us off? What do you think will be the most played deck? I think it's going to be somewhat drastically Palkia, uh, and then maybe like Mew and Arc Desi Peak, mm-hmm. maybe Arc Intel uh, a bit closer after that. Okay. And when you say Palkia, you mean like the Palkia Inteleon, right? Not like. Oh, yeah, Inteleon. Okay. Uh, I think Jolteon is not great. <laughs> Grant, what do you think will be the like top three decks? That was a good way to do it. Yeah, I think those are the the easy top three. The distribution of those is going to be interesting. Um, Palkia again, it's it's probably the best deck overall. Like if, uh, I think you've said it before, if you want to do well, uh, just play Palkia and Teleon and know know the deck, and, and you'll do well. Um, will you win? I don't know. We haven't seen it win. Uh, I think Mew will be probably close to, if not maybe more, played. Uh, just from what I said earlier. Uh, everyone has Mew. Um, it's a really good deck right now, and uh, you know I could see I could see a lot of people. I mean, we're looking at a thousand masters, so I could see you know 150 to 200 people even bringing it. I think one of the things when I always talk about Mew is I don't know either of you can correct me on this one, but I have never played a Mew player who didn't fully bling out their deck. <laughs> I feel like Mew players have fully committed to <laughs> the Fusion Strike deck. So I'm I'm in a hundred percent agreement with both of you. I think Palkia is by far the number one deck and will be the number one played deck. And there's there's no reason not to play Palkia, I don't think. I don't know. Can either of you sell me on a reason why I've been playing Palkia for two months now? Or let hypothetically, I've been playing Palkia for two months. Is there a reason I shouldn't bring Palkia and Telly on to Baltimore? Pop, you're shaking your head no. Why not? No, um, I mean, the thing that I found with Palkia is, like, even when you're hitting the decks like uh, Arcdesi Peak with Jolteon, you, you still, like, have a solid chance of winning. Like, you just hit a scrapper and then have, like, a big blow-up turn. Uh, if you go if you win the coin flip, uh, you can get, like, the turn 2 Greninja. Like, there's just so much that can go wrong for the uh, Arcdesi Peak players, and they need to, like, play the Jolteon too. Like, I don't know. It's just... It, it's It's a lot closer than the, like, it seems, I feel. Grant, can you? Is there a reason not to play Palkia? Or are you agreeing with Piper? Yeah, I think it's pretty much the same thing. Other than that, it's like you could get intimidated by the world's results and seeing, you know, three Pikachu's in the top four, um, two of them with Jolteon, uh, and 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 as the top deck, you're gonna have a target on your head, you know. So uh, plenty of people are always looking for counters to you. You're going to have to play every match uh, tough. And I think going back too, to when it first came out, and I think it still kind of exists today, is you you brick a lot. You know, one one out of three, one out of four games, you just hit kind of a hard brick. But that's fine because when you don't brick, you're you're super fast and do a lot of damage. So um, I think it might be a confidence issue if anyone's considering not playing it if they already have the cards. I said this on the Worlds discussion. The one reason I wouldn't bring Palkia to an event and I didn't bring it to Worlds is I I love everyone who is in day one of Worlds. You're a wonderful player. But I overestimated the skill of day one players and I was afraid of the Palkia mirror match. And I think that's the only reason I would not bring Palkia to Baltimore is if you're trying to win the tournament, 
Like I'm calling it right now. If anyone wins with Palkia in Baltimore, it's Isaiah Bradner. <laughs> the, the dude is half Palkia at this point. So if like, okay, you're trying to win. Can you beat him? Can you beat someone like uh, Cal Connor is going to be there? He top cut with it. You know, is someone like, well, the Australians aren't going to be there, obviously. But Andrew Estrada from Canada, who also top cut with, is he going to be there? Are you going to beat these people with it? And if the answer is no, then you have to ask yourself the question of, are you trying to win? If you're trying to top cut, trying to top 16 day two, yeah, you're fine. You could lose that mirror match. But otherwise, I think you need that extra little edge. And I don't know what that edge is. Grant, can you think of any edge if you're trying to beat Palkia? Like, what is your go-to strategy there? Well, I think we talked about it in the, my recap for NAIC. I went 4-0-1 uh, against Palkia, and that was just Arc Pikachu and going first. <laughs> um, get, getting, down two, getting down two Pikachus, uh, and then back then, I think some people are still playing Raihan, but Raihan being able to just, if you have one down, you can uh, Raihan and then get a uh, double turbo and still hit uh, for 280. Is your actual suggestion to counter Palkia to go first? That's, yeah, essentially. That is a big a big thing in this meta right now. It, it is so coin flip heavy at, at, at the start. You know, obviously Muse coin flip throughout the game, but um, just winning that coin flip is such a huge advantage. It, it feels like... Uh, and then if you every deck, I think if you if you're a go first deck and you just set up, it's there's no really way to come back for the other other player. Piper, outside of going first, is there another strategy to counter um, Palkia? Marnie Path has felt pretty good because, uh, uh, as Grant mentioned earlier, like the one in three, one in four bricks, you can abuse that a lot with the Marnie Paths. Um, and I think that's like the big thing that the Arc Peak decks are going for. Like, obviously, you have the peak to. It's a lot better going first, and you have it to pressure the Palkias, but Marnie Path bricking them is one of your uh, better win cons. Yeah. Okay, so are we both in like, hey, the four Marnie and three to four Path is a valid strategy in this meta? I'm seeing yeah, some heads. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't. I don't disagree. As someone who played Radiant Charizard at Worlds. The biggest fear in the world was not one Marnie, not two Marnie, but the third and the fourth Marnie. Because yeah. <laughs> eventually you're going to brick off of those. So off of that concept, off the idea of the deck bricks a lot, and my strategy against it is a bunch of Marnies. If you were to play Palkia, or just in general, are we wanting the four VIP pass version, you know, the Isaiah Bradner in that group? And I think the one that James Cox and Kaiwin played at Worlds, or do we want the one vip pass version that uh andrew estrada and cal connor played at world so do you want the four or the one vip pass in there piper what's your pick uh i think four is always correct because uh we kind of talked about how going first against palkia is like a huge it gives you like a huge boost in winning the game but that means as palkia you want to go first and you need to have like a really good setup um especially like hitting Mew and stuff like if you only get one palkia down you're like very prone to just losing the game against Mew. So I think just having the four battle pass is giving you like the best early game possible, which I think is where Palkia struggles the most. Grant, what about you? Four or one? Yeah, it's got to be the four. Irida on on the other side of it too is just so good throughout the game, um, and and we've seen it with Mew since the start. Like just whenever they get a one VIP pass in the opening hands, it's just such a different game, uh, and and the same applies to Palkia. So just just hitting at least one is is crazy. So yeah, you, ha you have to max it out. 
So I have to ask you both. Are you currently trying to meta manipulate by having Palkia play more dead <laughs> cards for your Marnies? Are you saying no. that we're playing Army decks? <laughs> no, I agree. Okay. I'm so I'm personally a fan of one, but I will say four feels really good in the sense that you know very quickly if you're winning or losing. Like those explosive starts feel so good to just kind of know like by turn two, like I think I'm losing. Because with one VIP pass, you have to make comebacks. You have to pull off quick shooting mm -hmm. and Leon plays and all this cute little stuff. And four VIP passes very much. All right, I win, GGs. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. I mean, we're we're talking a thousand masters here, so we're gonna see a lot of inexperienced and slower games too. And so that's that's part of it. We've everyone's talked about knowing when to scoop, and and not having the VIP pass early and kind of seeing the gameplay will you know might be an indication that. Let's let's pick this one up and go again. Off of that, Piper, you played a relatively slow deck at Worlds. Can you offer some advice as a pretty experienced player about knowing when to scoop? If you're going to play something with a, you know, a shady dealings deck, how do you mm -hmm. know I'm going to scoop versus continuing to play and all that other stuff? Yeah, so um, there were a lot of times where I would be winning game one. Then I go into game two. I see my hand. Um, and then I like sometimes I just insta scoop off the hand. Uh, other times I'd like because there was one game against Mew where they chose to go second, and I had like Hoopa plus Moltres in my hand. Uh, yeah. So I I think I just like saw my top deck and then immediately conceded and went to game three because <laughs> I'm really confident in that matchup. Um, I think it just depends on the matchup, especially uh, good matchups. You'd want to concede early to get to the game three, so you have the best chance of winning. Whereas if you're um, if you hit like a bad matchup. If you play it out, then you're more likely to get a tie, which is better than a loss for you. So it's a matter of if you're going to play a slower deck or you're a generally slower player, and there's mm -hmm. always that that thing where, you know, do you slow play or are you a slower player? There is a big difference between those two things. Yeah, for sure. But if you know you're a slower player, you should know your matchups and you should know, like, I just need to scoop because this isn't going to go very well for me. Yeah. Awesome. I feel like that's really, really good advice. So the second deck, we all seem to agree on Mew VMAX as the second most popular deck. What made Mew come back in your eyes? Grant, start us off. Why do you think Mew is suddenly seeing a resurgence after falling off the last couple of tournaments? Yeah, I think it's just, uh, I mean, it's it's never really fallen off in what it can do and its power. Uh, we've, we've known it since the start, it dominated the meta right away and that created, you know, all these dark decks and techs that try and encounter it, you know, quad path and Marnie and, and all these things. Uh, and I think we might be at a, a lull where it's time to come back. We've seen it do really well online, which online is a meme meta, but that's fine. It still provides some, some data, at least for us to see at least matchups and things like that. And, and Mew still, uh, continues to, to perform well. And and nothing. I mean, what has changed in the deck? You know, maybe people are throwing Silene and things like this into it, and and trying to uh, max out their damage. And we've gone back and forth between the flips. We saw um, the straight uh, double turbo. You know, cut cut the Meloetta out, and you know, people are are always you know doing little things to it, and it's still super powerful and and has results. Piper, if your opponent. To go off of Grants, if your opponent flips over a Mew, let's say you're going first, 
Are you immediately thinking they have Meloetta and Elisa Sparkle, or are you expecting something like that Michael Pramowat build from the open? That's the four double turbos with all the little shenanigans in there. So are you expecting more of the, you know, fusion strike or more of the straight double turbo builds? I feel like it's going to be more of the fusion strike. It's kind of like safe. People know what it's uh, like capable of, whereas uh, Pram's list, it just came out at the London Open. Um, I think like one of the big issues I've run into with his list is like if you go second things get like really awkward like going first with the deck it feels amazing and then mm. going second sometimes you just have like some really awkward end games i have to co-sign right. no i co-sign that completely like you can do cool stuff right like you've definitely done that. if you've tested the deck piper you have to say you've done this avery echoing horn cross switcher <laughs> yeah it's Ooh, it feels so good for your opponent to be like all right you're out of power tablets you can't ko my palkia and you're like bet Avery <laughs> echoing horn GG's. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I'm a big fan of Pram's list, but I agree. The fusion strike has to be the most popular. Grant, are you agreeing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't take away the, the donk factor, too. How many times, you know, speaking of James Cox earlier, that was my first round of EUIC, and he hits me with the with the donk, like, okay, welcome <laughs> to Europe. Uh, you know, and, and, that, and that, you can't take that away from the deck. Like, that is such a, uh, you know, added win con that other decks don't have no like arceus decks don't have that i think that's being able to play a deck where you can go second also feels really good piper i don't know if that's why one of the reasons you picked inteleon box for worlds uh yeah going first and second just feels good with both ways yeah. um but yeah that's probably not one of the main reasons okay. but uh it was definitely there like that was that was a pretty big reason I picked Radiant Charizard. It's just like because the amount of Palkia that I was testing, I was like, I don't ever beat this with anything if I go second. I have to figure out a way mm -hmm. to do that. I was like, oh, this deck can do it. And that's kind of it. All right. So we expected Mew. Now let's go ahead and talk about the uh Arc Pika stuff. Are we expecting Arc Pika to have Desi, have Crobat, have Jolteon? Like what is the most likely partner besides the obvious flying Pikachu? I feel like flying Pikachu is a necessity right now. I don't know if either of you disagree with that. But uh, Piper, are you expecting Decidueyes? Are you expecting Crobats? Are you expecting Moltres Vs? Are you expecting Jolteons? Like, what's that extra piece in those Arc um, Girl? It's kind of weird because the thing with Decidueye is like if you cut down on Decidueye for other stuff, then you're going to be like naturally disadvantaged in the mirror match when they're playing the 2 2 Desi. Like, they're just not decking worlds. Which in a tournament of like a thousand plus players is going to happen quite often, um, but like something for sure, I do feel like B Barrel is definitely just better than Jolteon. So I kind of talked about earlier Jolteon. It, it's good against Palkia, but it doesn't always like work. Um, you don't always hit the like turn one EV, um, and I, I feel like the consistency from B Barrel is just giving you like an advantage in Mirror because uh, Andre went four one in games against the Jolteon list in top four, I believe. That sounds correct. I think it was. I think it was a 2 1 then 2 0. The finals so yeah, was. Uh... <laughs> that was interesting. So you're expecting, you think that uh, there's going to be a large amount of people who are net decking? Simply. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be pretty similar to Andre's list. Um, maybe a dark attacker, but yeah. Okay. Grant, do you agree? Yeah, I think we're going to see. I think the immediate reaction was uh, you can cut that out and just put a Dunsparce in, which might apply a little bit you know in some circumstances but you know the what we've what we've learned from 
the world's list is gut Sharon's and play four boss. And so then the Dunsparce isn't that great of a attack mm-hmm. unless you have a rod and can bring it back. But um, I, I would think the natural progression again would be we, we are back in America, uh, which plays a totally different style. Those two lists were Japanese lists with the Jolteon. It was like a turbo type build um four ball or uh four research which was um you know i think you know azul played two i was playing one in milwaukee and and naic I, the the use for it was very rare um but they were just turboing through setting up and and saying you know i've got a free retreater i've got energy acceleration if i need it but no healing and that's just a you know slow slows the pace of the game down i think that'll probably carry over uh so i don't know and and i think the thought back then was your healing was to counter uh archanteleon Mm -hmm. and we didn't see any archanteleon and they can just outpace you on healing anyways because they can get the sharons every time uh and if that's not going to be presence and i guess we could talk about that next but if that's not going to be there then you don't need the sharons um and that that fills a lot of space cutting cutting sharons and cutting the uh the decidui gives plenty of space to to make a you know text for what you think the meta is going to be and, and as we're saying we think it's going to be some mew in there so bring back the dark attackers like back in indian and the early days so before we get into the arc intel because we will and this kind of goes with the arc intel too but you both mentioned dunsparce and this could be a simple yes or no but if you were bringing arceus arceus whatever and it might be, I'd bring it if I play this or not this. Would you bring Dunsparce? Piper, yes or no? Um, I feel like no, unless I'm playing Arc- unless I'm playing a way to search Ordinary Rod easily. Okay, so like Arkintel would be maybe a Dunsparce. Yeah, I'd probably play Dunsparce and Arkintel, but not like Argagron or Arc Peak. It's just like, they, they, if they're playing the four boss, which I think is really good it just gets bossed and like they can just boss the b barrel later and it doesn't really do much to their uh prize or their prize map. yeah grant yes or no dunsparce i could try and meta manipulate and say something but i think the answer is <laughs> no the answer just no like it's just a, a essentially a dead card half the time and uh again like piper said if you can't get it back you're what's the what's the use of it yeah, when your opponent has four boss, it uh loses a little bit of the value. Yeah, because mm-hmm. and the Pikachu's a three prizer, so it makes you know a three two one mapping yeah. pretty easy. Piper, you mentioned the Agron. Is Arceus Agron a real deck that you think is gonna show up? Or is it a type of deck that like this did well at Worlds? Um I think it's okay. Um I, I don't know. It, it seems really good in theory, uh, and in testing it's been fine. But it, it does kind of it's kind of inconsistent. Uh, it's uh, the best attack. Like I think, from what I found, the better attack is on the basics. So and it only has two hundred thirty HP. So it's very prone to just getting bossed and killed, like by Palky and stuff. And even if you V Max, you're taking thirty damage. I don't know. It's very fragile. I feel despite having like okay, but it does have like that big blow up factor, which is. So it's kind of cool, but also kind of maybe a flash in the pan. <laughs> well, I don't know, because it also top 16 the open. So it, it's like, it, it's not like it was a one hit wonder. Oh, back. you're good. Grant, what do you say about aggro? Yeah, um, it's it's a cool trick. Uh, it's a cool wrinkle, but I think the, the main takeaway is that it's just Arceus is good. 
doesn't really matter. <laughs> like you can you can play whatever you want with Arceus, and you're gonna you're gonna have a pretty good time as long as you you know the deck and know your outs. Because you know yeah, it, the attack hits hard, and that's always what we're looking for. We're, you know we're not talking about Lost Origins, but Giratina hits hard. It's a good deck, you know. <laughs> so if you can find the partner that hits hard, and, and uh, two thirty is better than two twenty, that's for sure. Uh, but we don't really see a lot of um, well, other than you know Palkia, but but back you know Indianapolis people are playing the uh, Choice Belt and the Zigzagoon. We don't really see that that often anymore. So um, you know you you can live an extra turn and and take a a knockout is you know on on their attacker and hopefully you know Marnie Patham and you're in a good spot. So I could see the merits of it, but yeah, I, and there will be definitely more play of it than at Worlds. Because <laughs> there was what one the open they open a couple more, but I, I think you can see a decent amount. I've heard people talk about potentially playing it. So I want to talk about the world's meta real quick because I think we got through our top three decks, kind of our expectations for them: the four battle VIP pass, fusion strike, and Mew, Arc Pika probably with a Desi. But then Piper, you were a day two player. You saw the world's day two meta. You mentioned people are going to net deck from day two, which is fine because. The world champion winning deck is obviously very good. But mm-hmm. what did you see in that day two meta? And do you think those results from day two might be a little different than Baltimore because of the sample size that was there? Um, well, I mean, I sat next to Fabi in round one and I saw the uh Jolteon Palkia. That was pretty <laughs> weird. Um I don't think that's a great play to Baltimore, but I think like the big thing with Baltimore versus Worlds Day Two is um like the worst record you can have to make uh day two six two one and then from there top eight's gonna be like eleven two two mm-hmm. uh whereas worlds you have to go six one one or better. So I feel like the decks that you're playing are gonna be a lot different. Like Palkia or Mew has a uh like are pretty good plays to go like eleven two two. Um they're also good plays for like six one one but uh at least my logic going into it worlds uh was like the reason I played Italian boxes, I'm like, I have a really good like chance to be able to have a really good record because I have outs to everything. Uh, I just think I got some unlucky. I got a bit unlucky there. So you're saying that the world's results are a little skewed because certain decks can go 6-1-1, but probably can't yeah. go 11-2-2 because there's just so many more rounds and so much more. For sure. There's, there's a lot more variance in 15 rounds versus 9 rounds. Like more consistent decks are going to be a bit better for uh, a regionals than whereas you can go like uh, you can have like quirkier text for worlds I've found in the past. So after hearing that, Grant, you're the person who would net deck. In fact, you might be net decking for this tournament. I don't actually remember. But after hearing that, does that change you looking at the world's results and making your own 60? Like, would you now think differently? Or are you still like, oh, the number one list is really good, so I should just play that? No, I mean it's the same way as like the way when when we were planning, you know, for when I was going to EUIC, it's like this is a different, totally different meta than what we've been playing here in the states and and how how we approach tournaments and regionals and things like that. I think it's the same way, you know, Worlds is a small small tournament of the top players, and so you're you're metagaming against each other essentially. You're not really worried about rogue things that are coming out, and that's why, uh, you know, Mew didn't really show up that much because everyone knew how to play against Mew. And you can't get away with just being fast and, and strong. Um, 
the, I think, yes, people will take world's results, but, and I hope they do because I think that doesn't <laughs> translate well into a regional. I think we're going to see a lot more things and we could talk about later, like Reggie and um, even the, the rock stack, um, you know, cause they're, they're cheap. They're easy and fun to play. Rocks. So there was a rocks in day two of world. <laughs> it's a lunatone soul rock. Is that a deck that you would ever expect your opponent to flip over? Yeah. Round one. Right. <laughs> right. So it's like that, that's it, it. I don't know. Okay, so you're unless not, I lose round one. <laughs> so you're not respecting rocks at all, Piper. No, uh, I don't think there's a reason to. I don't know. Like Frank's a really good player, um, but then I don't remember his record is like. I was thinking two 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 one two two like, yeah maybe, something yeah. It was something two two, um and Drew Kennett played a day one and he didn't convert to day two also a good player I don't know it like I think I remember seeing like Frank tweet about it and say it was very I, I think he said it was like matchup dependent mm -hmm. on if he did well or something and I feel like matchup dependency isn't the best thing for regionals uh, just because it's fifteen rounds like you're more likely to hit the bad matchups than versus worlds i don't know yeah that is actually now that you're mentioning it that is something he said in the twitter thread of like i wouldn't bring this to a regional because you kind of have to high roll worlds a little bit mm -hmm. and yeah for sure like you said 15 rounds you can't really high roll 15 rounds i'm sure someone can but mm -hmm. <laughs> good luck if that's you so you mentioned reggie's too uh let's talk about the online tournaments before lost origin came out uh piper i don't know do you pay attention a lot to online tournament results a lot uh, I'll look at the ones that are like a hundred plus players. Um, see what did well. See if there's any like fun text to mess with. Um, but I, I wouldn't like be basing my play off of what's been doing well in online events. Perfect. So you're already leaning into exactly what the question's going to be. But we saw a lot of Reggies <laughs> and a lot of Intellion Charizard in these online tournaments lately, to the point where. I've seen tournaments where Reggie was the number one most played deck or the number two most played deck, and Inteleon Charizard would end up at like three, four, five, you know, like 10% meta share, 8% meta share, which to me seems ridiculous. But is that real? Like, would you actually expect Reggie's to potentially be played at like a 10% meta share or Inteleon Charizard at 10% meta share? Piper, you're shaking your head no. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I think. Both decks are pretty solid plays. Um, like, Reggie's, the issue with it is consistency. Like, it's it's a pretty good deck. It's just a lot of the times it doesn't set up. Mm -hmm. But when it does set up, it's really good. Um, Radiance Art, the issue is, like, um, it, it's difficult to play. Like, it, it's one of my top plays, but if I'm, like, really tired or, in, like, uh, if I have, like, a bunch of schoolwork beforehand, I'm just, like, not going to play that. I'm just going <laughs> to play something that I don't have to think as much for 15 rounds. So you, but, end up, yeah. you end up with a surprise project given to you on like Thursday or Friday, do the next Monday. You're like, all right, I gotta. <laughs> yeah, gotta play something fast, do homework between rounds. <laughs> As a teacher, I respect that grind. Grant, Reggie's and Radiant Charizard, are they going to be played anywhere near the level that they are in the online tournaments? You know what? I'm going to go against the grain and say, yeah, I think it's it's very possible um, because they've seen success. And, and obviously we know, you know, Reggie, it won the Champions League and has been a consistent deck for very long. And now we're seeing, you know, with the world's results and seeing it all over the internet, um, it's fun. That's another thing. People really enjoy playing it. Uh, you see a True. lot of the con content creators playing it. 
and making videos and and you know we're seeing lists flooding the, the twitter feed um i could see it i don't i don't think it'd be 10 percent. it'd be 100 people i could see um you know 50 to 75 uh, i don't know if the same would go for the charizard uh it is really good um but yeah like piper said it is it is a grind to play any anything in Teleon's really a grind to play but especially a single prize um we saw both of ross or, uh ross was on twice we saw both of his games were just uh slug fest going to the very end um you know if 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 you have the stamina and and think you can can pilot it sure uh but i i think i'd take reggie over the charizard as far as uh the numbers of the tournament i think what you said about the fun factor is something we should consider so one of my biggest pet peeves and i don't know either of you can disagree with me on this one every meta discussion i would listen to before regionals people were like this is a budget deck so people are going to play it because they can't afford something else and the regional experience is too expensive for people to actually play mm. budget decks piper you're nodding your head very much yes yeah especially with like the um if you're paying 70 dollars to enter the regionals like you could like i don't think budget's a factor at that point like if, if you're spending 70 dollars to get to the regionals i think you can like i don't know how much the arc peak deck is but i feel like you could just play that for like a hundred dollars like I, I definitely the fun aspect but i don't think budget's a huge thing at that point also like flights are pretty expensive I'm glad I'm glad you said the uh the fun factor cuz that's that's the one that I think does matter. And Arctica, oh, sure. I just looked up on Limitless, about $153 for the oh, world's yeah. winning list, which that's twice as much as the entry fee, which like Yeah. That's when you put it that way, you're like that's not that much. Like it adds up but also mm-hmm. like you're already spending so much money, what's the extra little bit? Out of curiosity, now, let's see Radiant Charizard. That's $90. Interesting. Okay, anyway. No. The uh, deck or the, the card? Radiant Charizard's $30. <laughs> so that, that's most of the deck. <laughs> I'm selling mine. <laughs> also, Eridos are like $4, right? Like, that's just another yeah. 15 there. Uh, yeah, of the 90, 30 in Charizard, 25 in Irida, and 15 in Scoop 25? Up Nets. For four of them, yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, Grant, you were saying yeah, something. I, yeah, I think, I don't think the hard part's really the price anymore. I think it's just the availability. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've seen variants on uh tcg player from i'll get something in two days to i'm still waiting on something from four weeks ago uh so and the reggie deck's a tough one to get because you're getting six different reggies and sometimes you know if you want to buy two or three of them at the same time it's that's the more expensive one and so that does play into it's just the you know the psychology of it uh so you can try ordering the cheap the the cheap two ones and they're from separate sellers and you might not get one uh, I think this one will be a little bit easier. I don't think people know this, but I think there's like six vendors at this one. So really, I think, yeah, yeah, getting cards will be a lot easier. Also, Full Grip was letting you pre-order and pick up there. Yeah. They did that at like Indie or something, which I, I think that's a really good idea. Um, but yeah, and, yeah, I think and, that's a great both ends, especially with the small turnaround from Worlds to. Anyone who hasn't been to a regional before and trying to buy the vendors, Grant, I. Not sure if you've experienced this, Piper. You played long enough. I'm like 99% sure you have. But someone will always buy out some things, no matter what. It could be reg ice. All six vendors could say someone came in and bought my hundred reg ices last night, or like as soon as they opened. So the mm-hmm. fact Fulgrip does this is so nice for that exact reason. Well, that was um, yeah, that was the uh, 
Lycanroc? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. At yeah. India, the yeah. Rahul, <laughs> Rahul bought all of them. <laughs> they, they bought all the Lycanrocs. And so that's they kept that's tweeting, funny. and then they just didn't play it. Right. They, you saw the meme. Like somebody said, like uh, Rahul came in and bought twenty-four Lycanrocs. So they just <laughs> embraced the meme, just reposting Lycanroc all day. <laughs> Actually, I don't know how I missed that one. That's actually really funny. <laughs> um, they're playing the bees, which yeah, I saw I saw the tweet. Then I saw one of them go on stream that night. I like got their list from the stream, and I'm like, "Where's the like rocks?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we got a little sidetracked from the main point, which was the fun factor. Um, Reggie's is a fun deck, like regardless. Yep. And before uh, Piper, are you going for another day two invite, or are you invite and chill? No, no. Um, I am a senior this year. Uh, I have college stuff to do. I respect uh, we'll, that. We'll see. College uh, I apps. could just win any I see. <laughs> oh no, with no locals, who knows? Right. You're definitely capable of winning NAIC, I think, after like all those great finishes. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so you're kind of in the same boat that uh, Grant and I are, where we don't know the invite structure or the points yet. And so there's something to be said about the fun factor because people want to go to Japan, obviously, but also we don't know what that number is. That number could be 400. That number could be a thousand. That number could just be Mm -hmm. top 32 are the only ones who get their invite. Like we don't know. And so there's an argument of like, I have an hour drive to Baltimore. I want nine rounds of Pokemon to be enjoyable. Reggie's (laughs) Reggie's is a fun deck. So there's there's an argument there and there's other decks that are very fun and people think different things are fun. Like I've run into plenty of people who think Mew is the most fun thing in the world. And I Psychos. Eh, I it's it's fine. I don't know. Mew is the most fun thing in the world when you have two battle passes in your opening hands. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that and You know what deck okay. What deck is fun? And let's see if we're gonna respect this one. Dialga. Speaking of Dialga was played by some of the best players in the world at Worlds. And if you go to Limitless, there ain't no Dialga in that top 32. (laughs) Is Dialga a real deck, or is this one that top players keep tricking themselves into playing? Piper, what do you think? I I think... I don't know. I I think it's... It seems good on paper, but then you just see like players like Stefan um, not do great day two. Xander played it at NAIC and got sixty fifth, which it's it's a good placement. But like I don't know, it's just like top players you expect to see like top eight, top sixteen, etc. And then they're like lower, or you don't see them on the limitless page. I I think it was Bert played it in the open, and I I want to say he went like seven three or something. I don't know. I don't. Wow, remember. that's pretty good. But he played the Stefan list with the cross Seavers. I don't know. I hate that list personally, just as an aside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a much bigger fan of, I think it's Xander's list. It's probably not Xander's exact list, but the general vibe of Xander's list. I don't know about mm-hmm. you two. Yeah, I, I like the Starly Birdkeeper stuff. God, Star- Birdkeeper is one of my favorite cards. I bought four full arts when they were like $3 initially because I'm like, this card's sick. <laughs> yeah, no, I also bought four full arts because <laughs> I didn't have them and shipping was uh, stupidly expensive. So. It was about the same price to get the full arts. Um, <laughs> and we were testing some weird, like, starly, milotic stuff for worlds. That's cool. I don't know what you would do with it. And obviously you didn't play it, so it, you'd probably do nothing. It, it stopped. It, it wasn't really working. Out. <laughs> it was really interesting, but... That's awesome. I feel like if we didn't have Baltimore and we didn't have Bilbao, a lot of top players would be sharing more of their rejected ideas. 
because I I got to talk to a handful of top players who told me some of their rejected ideas. And it was like, oh, that's just like that's impressive. Like, it sounds bad. Obviously, they didn't play it. But like so the biggest one, because I played it on stream was Henry Brand and the Arceus Thievel. Where they would just go like oh, yeah. Avery Thievel or they'd go like, you know, Thievel and boss your bee barrel or something like that. And I was like, wait, why didn't I even think of that? That's so good. Turned out not to be that good, but I don't know. I wish more top players would spill their like bad deck ideas because that would be super cool. We had a solid like five decks with Milotic in there. <laughs> um, I mean, that beats... we Yeah. It, we're just like, oh, um, Marnie Path is really good. Roxanne's pretty good. What if they just can't do that? <laughs> I don't know. That's actually... I don't know. We're probably getting too far off the general idea, but there, there's a good That's argument fair. there of like, Marnie was really good at Worlds. What if my Lodic is good? You can keep calling for the Feebas. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking. Yeah. Uh, we definitely tried to fit into Radiant Charizard and just like couldn't. Because that's the only way you lose is Roxanne, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, a couple more things before we actually finish up the meta discussion. Because I think we've got a good idea of, like, these are the decks we're expecting. Uh, Jolteon. Do you expect... Not the VMAX. Look, good for you if you're going to play Jolteon VMAX. But uh, let me introduce you to Hisui and Decidueye, the Wand Worlds, right? Uh, Jolteon with Memory Capsule. Do you respect... Jolteon. So not do you expect it, but do you actually respect this card in your deck building? Or are you just kind of like it's not good enough, there's not enough Inteleon out there, and they're going to go to the bottom tables? Uh, Piper, do you respect Jolteon Memory Capsule, or would you if you're going to play an Inteleon? Uh, nope. Um, <laughs> I think I think it was good for Worlds. Uh, I think seeing three uh, Arc Peak B-Barrel, or three uh, Arc Peak decks and a Mew in top eight um isn't the most like appealing thing for that uh i don't think it does a whole lot against palkia if they go first um because they just go greninja uh like yeah. <laughs> i don't know it just and even even then they play four irida and scrapper uh if they play raihan that's another out like they just have so many outs to get rid of the capsule they can even just switch or kill it um like there's just a lot can, that can go wrong with it shout out to my round one of vancouver regionals I got my Jolteon set up. I take a knockout. My opponent Raihans for Tool Scrapper, and I just lose the game right then and there. <laughs> Grant, do you respect Jolteon? Well, it's funny you mentioned Vancouver. I played uh, <laughs> the same deck as you there uh, with the Jolteons. And if you, as, as you do know me, I've been one of the biggest champions of Jolteon since the beginning. Uh, I just like the wrinkle that it provides. And Yes, it is easily defeatable, but making them do all that means they're not doing something to set up like or to interrupt what you're actually doing, which is usually you know an Arceus and an, an attacker, and so you can still get your board set up while they're doing all these plays just to be able to play the game, which I think any sort of any sort of hindrance like that is such an advantage to you. Uh, I may be right, I may be wrong, but we we saw it here in Worlds, you know, two of the top four. Um, I think part of it, though, is synergy with other cards. Uh, you know, Arceus actually is a good partner for the memory capsule because you can evolve Starbirth and still power up an attacker, whether or not, you know, you're not actually doing any damage this time, but you can survive a hit then. But that was back when, I guess, when Sharon was still good. But 
Um, I think you're always trying to find another partner with it, so it's not technically another dead card, because you don't want to run into a situation like the World's Finals and, and uh, Andre's uh, top four, where you're just playing against somebody with six, seven dead cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the memory capsule it's... is so bad <laughs> in, like, every deck. Mm-hmm. It's I, I definitely think I'm like... Yeah, in like 15 rounds, I think B-Barrel just feels much better than Jolteon's going to feel. Because like, I found I usually hit like 2 to 3 Mew a tournament, um, and then you're just like playing dead cards in that matchup. Um, and then like you hit 1 to 2 at least, probably Arc Peaks. I hit 3 at NAIC. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, I think if you're going to play the Jolteon, like you... And Beeberl, which we've done before, you need you need more research because you only have what the, the twelve discard outs mm-hmm. to to clear your hand out. Um, which that that worked really well for the the Japanese list because they did that. You know, even though they didn't have the Beeberl, they they were able to keep cycling through their hand. As far as Jolteon goes, if you you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know my thoughts on Jolteon after the Vancouver run. I lost to every Inteleon deck I played against. I beat all the non-Inteleon decks, but I lost to the Inteleon ones. I hate Jolteon. I don't respect it whatsoever. I already have a Tool Scrapper and Radiant Charizard. That's my play. If you haven't seen, A, follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash mellow underscore magicarb. I already leaked the 60 I would play. It has not changed. Radiant Charizard. It's got a Tool Scrapper in it because you need a Tool Scrapper. That's enough. If I get Jolteon and I don't get an Irida two games in a row, good for you, opponent. I'm going to go beat literally everyone else in the tournament and be just fine. I hate Jolteon. This is this is something Grant and I argue about all the time. He wants to put Jolteon in everything, and I constantly say, but what if we don't? <laughs> and then it, it did well at Worlds. So. <laughs> you're not wrong. Yes, your idea, you're, you are not far off the idea of the Japanese list. Now, last question, I think, is... If someone came up to you, they're versed in all the meta decks well enough. And they're like, I really want to go to Japan. I know we don't know the number, but I just need CP. I need top 256, actually, I think is going to qualify for CP at this tournament because the kicker is 800. Okay, you're shaking your head. Yes, perfect. So I need top 256 or better. What deck are you suggesting to them? Assuming, like I said, they're good at every deck, but they haven't practiced any of them enough to kind of stand out there. Grant, what would you say is the deck that you would recommend to someone who's good enough and needs top 256? Well, I've got two runner-ups that I think that we didn't talk about that I think are viable options for easy play. Uh, Arceus Duraludon and Blissey, I think are both pretty easy to pick up and just play. Uh, will you do really well? I don't know. Top 256, it's tough, but it's not the, the hardest thing to do. It's probably like 531 uh, would be the cutoff there. Yeah, so... About. You know, you could, if you put you put down the Duraludon half the time, if you get a powered-up Duraludon, you just sort of win. <laughs> Same with Blissey, you get it powered up, you can you can swing really hard. Uh, a mill tank's easy to, to win a matchup, but I think the easiest deck obviously the easiest deck if you can play it would be palkia to do well we talked about it in the intro but um yeah i would probably go with with one of the two uh that i mentioned uh duraludon or blissey for just you know kind of a, a wrinkle something outside everybody's purview and uh pretty easy to play 
Piper, this hypothetical player that is probably a lot of people out of a thousand, probably like five or six hundred yeah. of them. What deck mm-hmm. would you recommend to them? Mew. Um, I think you just so Mew. You're going to be able to play pretty well, even if you're not like, even if you haven't practiced it a ton. Um, if you've played it a bit, you'll probably do fine with it. Um, like you just have you. You can beat anything um, with just like a good enough start. You can just steamroll practically everything. Um, Mew's also, like, in my opinion, the best deck to, like, abuse high rolling. Like, if you high roll with any deck, you want it to be Mew. Uh, that's going to give you, like, the best tournament run. Like, if I knew I was going to high roll event, I would always choose Mew for that event. And just be, like, a super greedy four catchers, four cramless. <laughs> that is that That is a great point right there, though. If you're feeling lucky, I guess, or you're fine high rolling, you can literally win the tournament with Mew. No matter... Any level, any like low level of competency, you can win a regional with Mew. It's that good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my pick would be, and this is the same one I handed two people at NAIC. One of which I still don't think he plays the game, and the other of which plays the game very casually because he owns a store now. And they both had win and insta day two that didn't go very well, but that happens. And the deck is Arceus Duraludon. I think it is the safest quote-unquote pick out of anything. Like Grant said, are you going to do well? Probably not, not honestly. <laughs> your, uh, your odds of making top eight or even day two, they're kind of meh. Like Piper's pick, 100%. You can easily day two with Mew kind of at any point. But Duraludon, I think, is the safest for 256. You might sneak into day two and then get absolutely bodied once you get in there but that that would be my pick personally i'm not against blissey or mew either but got got through the dog yeah i mean i took it to salt lake city that was my first regional ever for that exact reason like i don't know what to expect i'm just gonna play something straightforward and simple uh unfortunately it was in when mew was at the height of its power uh and i i played two rods too and uh i went five four but uh one three against Muse, so uh, that that will always be an issue. But we're seeing with the different var- uh, variations, and if you play a rod, you you know, if you make a few little techs in the deck, you can you can survive it. So yeah, I'm with you on the Duraludon for sure. I mean, from my experience, I think I think Duraludon's a solid play. But um, my friend needed like forty or so points. That's all like to get their invite. Uh, they bought Mew cards Friday night. Uh, played it when six two or six one two or something day one, and like. Um, like all they all they tested the night before was mirror match because I think like three or four of our group played Mew to Salt Lake. <laughs> to to uh, be fair, I think that's actually really good advice, right? If you're gonna play Mew, know the mirror match. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Tord was recently streaming his like vod review of his team challenge, and he was talking over a Mew mirror match, and like it is so more much more intricate than you'd expect. And if you know the mirror match, yeah, for sure. like you said, that's like three free wins right there because there's gonna be a lot of people who don't know it yeah mm-hmm. i think that's actually really solid advice for anyone who's like i need the points and you want to take it into your hand Duraludon, your fate is not in your hands <laughs> your hands get right. thrown at you mew you have a little more a lot more control over everything know the mirror match that's that's good advice for sure um any other last second thoughts for anyone going to baltimore from either of you whether it's general tournament advice meta advice that we didn't mention deck advice that we didn't mention or 
you think we got it all covered? Um, I think the big thing that I found and that I've kind of like theoried with my age up to masters is if you want a day two, just play like a good deck. Um, like I played Gengar to Salt Lake, did day two. Then I just played Arc Mali or Arc Intel to the other three events, day two to all of them. I think just if you play a good consistent deck, it doesn't have to be the best deck in the room. You can pretty easily day two as long as you're like an average player. I completely messed up. We, I, I missed the chance to ask the perfect question. Piper, <laughs> you aged up mid-season. A ton of people yes. just aged up. Is that the best advice for any seniors who aged up into Masters that you have? Is there anything else that, about that change of experience besides just playing a good deck? Um, I, I think just playing a good deck. Like, I think I have this like really weird opinion, I feel. I, I actually think seniors is more difficult than Masters. Because with seniors, you have like 15 to 20 good players in a field of now like 40 to 50. Mm -hmm. Whereas, so that's, I guess it's probably more like 10 to 15 in a field of 40 to, when I was in seniors, I'm just going to go with that. It was like probably a solid 20 good players in like a field of 70 players. Uh, so you're more likely to, like you go past the first couple rounds and you hit a bunch of good players. Whereas masters, like you have a field of probably like 50 to 70 like good players in like 1100 or something. And you're just like, if you're a good player, at least, I feel um, you're more likely to be able to like capitalize on hitting a worse player and just play better than them and win. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just kind of been my logic throughout that. Um, so that's why I'm like, oh, if I just play like a good consistent deck, I'll be fine going to day two. That makes perfect sense. And I think I that's, that, that's also really good advice. You're not the first person I've heard say that. All right, you get a one, one in a thousand chance of hitting Tord, or, <laughs> yeah. hitting, or hitting me, ninety nine, nine hundred ninety nine. Yeah, but so that is versus like what seniors like a day two essentially. Mm -hmm. Seniors is yeah, yeah. Everyone once is, you get past like the second, just like top player, top player, top player, like it's just all top. Yeah, and you can easily go. You can make day two, and have gone all of day one without hitting a single player who even got a mm -hmm. world's invite let alone yeah. a day two worlds player, which I assume when you say there's 20 good players, that's all of the top 16 is in there. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, for sure. I think like the other thing is you go six, two, one and make day two versus you have to go five, one, one to top eight. Uh, and that second loss is a huge, um, like I was five, one at NAIC and then I, um, had bad luck against Mew and then I had bad luck against, um, Paul Kia and got to 5-2-1, so then I was on a win it in, but I still had a chance. And then I was 4-0-1 and went to win it in day two. Like, I, I just think it's, like, a bit more, um, I don't know, like, what the best word is, but, like, you can recover a lot easier after, like, one or, I don't know. No, that, that, that's, like, a perfect, like, it's, like, very forgiving in Masters, the fact yeah, that you can go 6-2-1 and then still make top eight. Like that's that's massive. You can have bad luck or bad variance. And this is coming from someone personally, Grant Piper. I don't know if you're in the same boat or not. I never have an easy route into day two. I'm always losing in round one to three and then picking up another loss somewhere along the way. Like I'm never like, oh, I'm smooth. I'm 501. I have some room to play with. I'm always putting it hard on myself. And the fact that I can lose two and still kind of vibe my way through into day two has been really big for me personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, there's a... Oh. Go ahead. Uh, there's that one event where uh, Gabe Smart was like 021 or something, mm -hmm. and then he like won the next... Like he went 1001 after that or something and then bubbled, but like 
like he started if you start O two one at seniors, you're like hoping top thirty two points or something, or maybe sixteen. Yeah, that's so, you have so much more control in masters just simply yeah. because of the large amount of rounds, mm-hmm. like you said. Yeah, I was gonna say that the same thing happened, you know, sort of to me, like I started like O O three in tournaments. So like I I've had way too many ties and that's something I guess my advice would be is to uh, know when to tell your opponent to play faster, know yourself when to play faster, and that goes back to the scooping as well. Because the ties, you know, if you're playing for points, it's okay, I guess, like to have a few in there. But if you're trying to make day two and you're trying to to do well, you need to uh, have results. Yes, the 504 into day two is uh, not what I would suggest. <laughs> it worked for Rob in, in, I forget, Liverpool or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think but... so. I think he was 905 into cut. Yeah, it, none, none of you listening are Robin Scholes, probably. Robin, if you're listening, send me a DM just saying, I listen, don't badmouth me again. But <laughs> that's he can do that. He's a world champion. The rest of us, don't do that. I promise it's not worth it. <laughs> Piper. Yeah, for sure. If the people want to find more of you, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Piper Lapine, just my name. Uh, I don't know, that's kind of it. <laughs> no sponsors? No, if, unfortunately not. I mean, if anyone wants to reach I, I out, kind of. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, shout out to uh, my local game store, Game Related, um, for just being pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, also my friends for testing. But yeah, Grant, where can the people find you? Uh, Twitter at uh, realboocyk one word, and uh, I don't have any sponsors either yet. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you need uh, a little more results before people are going to be, uh... Well, I, I put my, my faces out there. I'm on how, however many of these podcasts. <laughs> so, I, will, I will shamelessly rep you. <laughs> Myself, you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Mellow underscore Magikarp. If this is your first time with the pod because you're going to Baltimore, be sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform and or YouTubes that you are currently on because we're going to have more of these as the season progresses. And the best part, as someone who is... And like a tier two player, I'm not quite Azul's level, but I'm a step below. I'm not going to any events until 2023, so I will happily leak everything for everyone. And you can trust that I'm telling you the truth because none of the decks I play are anything that my teammates would play because they never listen to me anyway. So that is the best reason I can tell you to subscribe to the pod. And this has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast, and we'll catch you all next week.